This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We're in Mark chapter number 15 this morning, Mark chapter number 15. And uh, as we come to Mark 15, we understand the Lord Jesus uh, has been tried and um, condemned. And on his way to the cross, on his way, a man named Simon, a Cyrenian in verse 21, was compelled to bear the cross, and we understand that God has called each and every one of us to bear the cross of Jesus Christ. If you are his disciple, I trust that you are willing to take up his cross and follow him. We come to verse number 22 this morning in Mark 15. We'll read through verse 41, if you'll read along with me. The Bible says, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of the accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Let Christ be the king, uh, let Christ the king of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe and that they, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him, 
unto Jerusalem. I want you to notice the phrase that we find in verse number 22. The Bible said, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject Golgotha, the place of a skull. I want us to pray together, and let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we thank you again that we can come together into your presence around your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would hear your voice, that we would receive your word. I pray for those who do not know you as their Savior, that they would hear the message, your message of grace to them, and that they would respond in obedience and faith. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help your people, uh, your disciples, your, your followers, that we, would, uh, that we would be willing, Lord Jesus, to follow you to this place, this awful, dreadful place called Golgotha, and there uh, learn to live in a way that pleases you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Mark begins the gospel according to Mark in Mark chapter number 1, he begins by re rehearsing the voice of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness in Mark 1 and verse 3, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, here we have the introduction of the king. John is the forerunner. He's going before. He is preparing the way and he is heralding the news that a king has arrived mark's audience would have been primarily a a roman audience and mark is introducing them to a king who is unlike any king the roman world has ever known or ever knew this was not a king who came to be served this is a king who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There were many stops along his earthly life and ministry, and we think of the victorious moments in his ministry, the times that he stopped and he healed those who were sick, the times that he met the needs of those who were hungry, the times that he delivered those who were bound in demonic oppression, the times that he spoke uh, to the winds and the waves and said, peace be still. Uh, the times of, of deliverance when he spoke uh, to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came up out of the grave. Or when he touched uh, the bier of the coffin and said uh, to the widow's son, arise, and he arose. They were glad to follow him there. They were happy to follow him there, but the road, uh, to, uh, the road that the Lord Jesus was destined to walk, the, the road that his father chose for him was a road that led him to this place, Golgotha, the place of a skull. And it was at this place that the hopes and dreams of many of his disciples were momentarily dashed. As much as he tried to tell them and, and tried to teach them that his mission would lead to his death, they did not comprehend or receive it. But now the moment has come, and he's come to the place called Golgotha, the place of a skull. They tell us that Calvary or the place that 
they call Golgotha or the one at least that has been identified in our modern times is one that if you look at it, the formations of the rocks resemble that of a skull. And therefore, perhaps it was so named Golgotha, the place of a skull. Others would tell us that uh, the heads of the victims of crucifixion uh, would be compiled there or piled there and the skulls of the dead were gathered in that place. No matter the reason, here's what we know. It was a dreadful place of suffering. It was a place that the Romans used uh, to oppress their enemies and to strike fear into their hearts. It was a place of cruelty. And this is the place that Jesus came to in Mark chapter 15. Now, I want you to notice some things about the place and I hope you'll write them down. First of all, I want you to see it was the place of suffering. Golgotha was the place of suffering. And here we find the Lord Jesus Christ suffering for you and I. Notice in verse number 22, and they bring him unto the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. There's so much happening in just a few verses. The Lord Jesus, having been tried and falsely accused, having been buffeted, uh, smitten uh, by the hands of evil men, having the thorns uh, the, the, the crown of thorns forced down upon his brow, having been scourged uh, by the cruel Roman uh, soldiers, uh, having been beaten, the beard plucked off his face, is now crucified. As he arrived to Calvary, as he arrived to Golgotha, the Bible tells us that they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. This was a, a mixture, uh, the wine and the myrrh was a mixture that was designed to, to serve as an anesthetic to those who were suffering crucifixion. It was a drink that was offered to them that would help them in, in deadening the pain and dulling the senses to give them uh, just enough uh, medicinal cure, medicinal aid to help them through the awful suffering. And the Lord Jesus, uh, when he was offered this drink, refused it. Why? Because God was willing that he would suffer for our sin and for our shame. The songwriter said he suffered it all because he loved me. You see, if he was going to be our high priest, and he was going to be our high priest, and he is our high priest, whoever liveth to make intercession, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, he would have to be, as, as Isaiah said, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. You see, suffering is the result of sin, and Jesus went to the cross to make the payment for your sin and for mine. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, what they introduced into the bloodstream of humanity was sin, and as a result, suffering, and as a result, death. And here the Lord Jesus comes 
bearing our sin and taking upon him our suffering. And he is not willing to receive anything to deaden the pain or dull the senses. He is going to endure it all for you and I. The crucifixion, the cross, the act of a crucifixion was a cruel instrument of death designed to introduce maximum suffering and pain. In his book, The Murder of Jesus, John MacArthur details for us uh, the suffering of the cross. When he speaks of the condemned as they uh, arrived to the place of the crucifixion, the condemned would typically be forced onto his back and nailed to the cross as it lay, to the gr- as it lay upon the ground. The nails that were used measured five to seven inches long and resembled uh, that which we would uh, think of as a modern railroad spike. They were driven into the hands and into the feet of the victim's body. The nails would tear through the nerves in the wrists, the hands, and feet, causing severe bolts of pain throughout the victim's arms and legs. The cross would then slowly be raised until it was vertical. Ultimately, the foot of the cross would drop into place into a a deep post hole, landing with a reverberating thud that sent excruciating pain jolting through the victim's body. Though the wounds from the nails caused severe agony, they were not intended to be fatal. The normal cause of death was slow suffocation. The hanging position of the body constricted the diaphragm, which made it impossible to breathe. In order to get air, the victim had to push himself up, placing his weight on the nail wounds in his feet and wrists and rubbing his lacerated back against the rough wood of the cross. As the victim grew tired, experienced muscle spasms and became overwhelmed by the pain. His ability to breathe was increasingly hindered. As a result, carbon dioxide would build up in the bloodstream and he would eventually suffocate to death. If needed, the soldiers could hasten asphyxiation by breaking the victim's legs and thereby rendering him unable to push himself up to catch just a breath of air. You see, Jesus suffered our sin and our death on the cross of Calvary. In Psalm 22, we have a glimpse into the heart and mind of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. I I invite your attention there, Psalm 22 and verse number 11. Here we find the prayer and the emotion of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is expressed by the psalmist hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever went to the cross Uh, The psalmist, with vivid detail, portrays for us the agony and the suffering of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says in, in Psalm 22 and verse number 11, Be not far from me, this is his prayer to his father, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. You see, not only were the the host of his enemies, his earthly enemies gathered there, but I want you to know that the hosts of hell were gathered there. Adding to the suffering of Jesus, 
this demonic oppression and the oppression of hateful, wicked men as they railed upon him. In verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water. I'm spent. All my bones are out of joint from the jolt, from the beating, from the suffering. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. I can look at my bones. I can count them. They look and stare upon me. Isaiah said, surely, in Isaiah 53 and verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Here Isaiah describes the suffering of the Savior, and he suffered it. Why? Because he went to the cross to make the payment for your sin and mine. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with the griefs. He took our sufferings in his body. Throughout the ages, countless people have suffered cruel and wicked death, torture, mistreatment, and abuse. We live in a world that is filled with it. I want you to know that upon the cross, the Lord Jesus took the sum of human suffering upon himself. The question for us this morning is, are we willing to go with Jesus to the place of suffering? You know, we're pretty spoiled here in modern-day America, aren't we? Not a lot of people suffering here for Jesus. There's some people every once in a while who are inconvenienced. And oh, how we grumble and complain when we're inconvenienced. The biggest problem we often have is if the building is too hot or too cold. If the sound system is too loud or too silent, we're completely out of touch with what it means to suffer for Jesus. But do you know there are people across the world who are suffering for Jesus, people who are being killed, people who are being imprisoned, and people who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And by the way, that's beginning to intensify in our nation, is it not? I hope you understand that there is a movement afoot. It's a rebellion, a desire to overthrow a nation and to create a system that removes God from the public arena, that silences the voice of God's people, that ridicules the Bible and the truth of God's word. I hope you understand that. I hope you can discern that. I hope you can see through the media reports and understand what is happening. The battle for the soul of a nation is at stake. My concern and my burden is for the coming generation because I believe it's going to cost them if they're going to serve Jesus. Pastor Sexton often said when I was serving on staff with him, there is no painless way to follow Jesus Christ. 
And if we follow the biblical mandates and biblical examples, we understand that's true. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 10? He wrote to Timothy and he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, in Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. No, this man was stoned outside the city of Lystra. Why? Because he preached the gospel. But he says, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. It's going to bring some pain into your life. Are you willing to bear the pain? Are you willing to be banished? You know, there are people who today, when they receive the Lord Jesus, they're banished from their family. In Muslim areas across the world where people come to faith in Christ, their family will have nothing to do with them anymore. They're banished. They're beaten. They're bankrupted. They're berated. Are we willing to suffer for Jesus? Paul said, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You say, I'm willing to follow Jesus, yes, but are you willing to go to the place of a skull? Are you willing to go with him to Golgotha? the place of suffering. We see the second thing, and that is the place of scorn. The place of scorn. The Bible says in verse number 29, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. In addition to his sufferings, he bore the scorn of all humanity. The Bible said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And when they stood watching the suffering Son of God dying on the cross, there was no pity for him. The soldiers gambled for his clothing. There was no mercy extended to him. Only scorn and contempt and hatred came from their lips. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 29. They railed on him. That means they, they, they blasphemed. They spoke against him to hurt his reputation or to smite him with reports or words. They slandered him. The Bible says they mocked him in verse number 31. That means to play, to sport with, or against someone, to deride, to mock, to scoff, to deceive. It carries with it the idea of a child being what we would describe as childish, childish, making fun of another person. We say, stop that. that that's childish behavior. Here were the leaders of a nation acting like little children on a school ground, mocking the suffering Son of God. And by the way, when we look at what's happening in our world, we see the same thing, don't we? There's no respect. There's no reverence.
And when you lose respect in a society, it's destined to fall. We see another word there. We find it in verse number 32. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Here, now we see the thieves that were crucified with him. And by the way, he died as one of them. He died as a common thief. And here the thieves are. They have no respect for him, even in their own death. They revile him. That means they, they assailed him with abusive words. Now, we understand that one later came to faith. He heard the Lord Jesus' words when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And by the way, here's a good lesson for us. You know, the Lord Jesus is our model here, isn't he? Peter said that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. I want to tell you there are a few things that will make your blood pressure rise than when somebody speaks ill of you or talks about you behind your back. When somebody lies about you and says something about you that's false. Or when they get in your face and when they say something unkind and, and evil, when they, when they curse you and call you all sorts of names, there's nothing that's brings you to a fever pitch quite like that. And you know, when we were kids, we used to make this statement, and maybe some of you still do, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words hurt. They hurt. And they penetrate the soul of a man and of a woman and of a child. They're hurtful. And here they are hurling all the insults of hell at the Son of God adding to his suffering. In Psalm 22 and verse 6, here's what Jesus said. I am a worm and no man. There's no respect. There's no treatment here, uh, civil treatment, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Oh, they were, they were rejoicing in his suffering. They were mocking him. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You see, the apostle Paul writes and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake. But you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things unto this day. You see, Paul was willing to bear the reproach. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that it is pleasing to the Lord when we are willing to bear the reproach. The Bible said that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Some will only go as far with Jesus until it hurts their pocketbook until it hurts their business associations, until it begins to cause them suffering. May God help us to be faithful and walk with him and to be willing to suffer 
for the cause of Christ. The Bible tells us all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are you willing to suffer with Jesus? We see a third thing here concerning Golgotha. It's the place of suffering. It's the place of scorn. And then thirdly, we see it's the place of separation. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, the sixth hour uh, speaks of the noon time. That's the sixth hour of the day at noon. The Jewish day began at 6 a.m. And so the Lord Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. He was on the cross until 3 p.m. when he died. So for six hours, the Lord Jesus Christ endured the suffering of the cross. At the ninth hour, or at the sixth hour, rather, which would have been the noon hour, when the sun is at its highest point, the Bible tells us that there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. As the Son of God was being crucified, the world was darkened. The Bible says in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here we have the greatest agony of the cross. This is the greatest moment of suffering for our precious Savior when he was forsaken by his Father, when he was separated from him. John Phillips writes it this way. He says, there is no way that we can comprehend what the Lord's suffering during those hours of darkness when he who knew no sin was made sin for us. During those dread hours, God visited upon our divine substitute the sin of the whole world. This was the climax of all his woes. It was the prospect of this final ordeal that had overwhelmed him in Gethsemane. This was the cup, the cup that he was given to drink, the cup of our sin. Phillips goes on to say, the Lord uh, endured the pain of the crucifixion without a word. After all, he writes, thousands of people had suffered death by crucifixion. It was commonplace in those days of the Roman Empire but to be made sin, to be abandoned by God, that is what he dreaded. Uh, John MacArthur writing of this says this, he says, the father descended in judgment on Golgotha in thick gloom as the divine executioner to unleash his fury, not against sinners, but against the sin bearer. The full weight of God's wrath was poured out on the Son of God as the spotless Lamb of God was sacrificed for sin so that sinners might be justified through him. Moved by his perfect justice, God's infinite wrath released an eternity of punishment on the incarnate Son who, as an infinite and eternal person, absorbed the tortures of hell in a finite span of time. This was the dreadful cup of divine judgment that Jesus anticipated while sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane. No relief was given to Jesus on the cross. Such is a picture of hell, which 
in which the full fury of God's wrath is ever present. But the comfort of his love and compassion is utterly absent. On the cross, the Lord Jesus endured the full reality of hell's torments, including being forsaken by his Father. You see, he truly suffered it all because he loved you and me. Now, I want to tell you, hell's an awful place, isn't it? It's a place of great pain and suffering. The rich man said uh, to Abraham, he said, Send Lazarus. Would you just send him over my way? Let him dip his finger in some water that he could just relieve me, that he could just put a drop of water, just as much as a fingertip will hold. Let him touch my tongue. Let him provide me some relief. Jesus said of hell that the fire, the flame is not quenched and their worm dieth not. The agony of hell is indescribable. The suffering of hell that awaits those who reject Jesus is an indescribable suffering. But the worst thing I can imagine about hell is that there's no hope. There's no hope. Those in hell are never going to be relieved. They're never going to escape. God will not come to them in hell. You see, as Jesus was abandoned by his father, as he was forsaken, those in hell have no more opportunity to get to God. And he took that for you and I. The son of God, co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, who had been in perfect harmony and fellowship with his Father through eternity past. In those moments when he was made to be sin for us, cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'll tell you why. Because he bore the fury of the wrath of God upon our sin. He took our judgment so that you and I wouldn't have to take it. It's the place of separation. Sin separates us from God. Jesus, in his death, came to bring us together into the presence of God. If you have not confessed your sin to God, I want to tell you, friend, you are on your way to an eternity without him in an awful place called hell. And there is suffering and there's no hope. But if you'll come to him today, he will forgive you. He will save you. He will bring you to himself and you will never depart from him. We see a fourth and final thing this morning as we think about this place, Golgotha. We see it is the place of satisfaction. It's the place of satisfaction. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. I want to tell you that the sufferings of the cross did not put Jesus to death. He gave his life for us. No mortal man could have gathered the strength and the muster to cry out with a loud voice after six grueling hours on the cross. But Jesus did. And when the Roman centurion saw it, he saw something he'd never seen before. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. 
You see, and when he died, when he gave up the ghost, the Lord tells us in verse 38, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. You see, throughout history, if you wanted to get to God, if you wanted to approach God, you would have to come to the temple or to the tabernacle with a sacrifice. You would have to turn that over to the priest. And the priest would offer that sacrifice to make atonement for your sins. Once a year, one time in the year, the high priest, after he performed all of the rituals that needed to be performed, would enter into a place called the Holy of Holies. This is the place where the presence of God dwelt among his people. And in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would enter once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. But he had to do it each year. But now Jesus, our great and faithful high priest, entered once and for all into the presence of the Father and with his own blood made the atonement for our sins. And as soon as that atonement was made, the wrath of God and the justice of God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus. And to signify that, the veil of the temple was rent in two. Therefore signifying, you don't have to come just once a year, and it's not just one person who can come into the presence of God, but any person can come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus because he has made the satisfactory final payment for our sin upon the cross. You see, you can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. Our righteousness, the best we can do, the Bible says it's as filthy rags in the sight of God. You see, even when we try to do right, oftentimes we have sinful motives that we, our heart is so wicked and deceitful, we don't even know that. But God knows it. We're wicked. We're sinners. And there's nothing we can do to get it to heaven. And that's why Jesus came. The perfect, sinless Son of God. And that's why he went to the cross to make the payment for our sin. And when he died, right before he died, he made this statement It is finished. Literally, that phrase says this paid in full. Every sin that you've committed, that you will commit, every sin, Jesus made the payment for. Aren't you glad? Oh, I tell you, the older I get, the more I recognize how sinful I am, how utterly depraved I am. You learn that the more you live. You understand more of the grace of God that he has made the payment for every sin, that he has removed the guilt, he has removed the debt of sin, uh, the handwriting of ordinances against us. He has removed it by his precious blood, and to signify that, God said, we're done with the old system. You, you, don't, you don't have to wait once a year to get in my presence. You can come any moment. I'm ripping that veil in two. And then there was an earthquake, and the rocks rent, and the graves opened. And guess who came out of those graves? The saints of God. 
And what did the Lord show? He showed that the payment has been made and now these imprisoned people can be released. They're going to eternal life. They're going to be with me for all eternity. He showed his power. He showed that he was satisfied with the death of Christ on the cross. Have you been to that place? Have you come to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.